Okay, so uh, today's learning, first of all, uh, should be L'Rufu uh, Shalema, I mean, my, my Rebbe, but the, one of the great Mekubalim, Rav Gamliel ben Michla Itta. He had open heart surgery this morning, Baruch Hashem, it went well, and he should have, uh, he had a stent in, uh, added, and he should have a Rufu Shalema Bikarov. In addition, uh, it's L'Zeicha Nishmas Gila Bashloima Leib Asafrayim, Yitzchok ben Chaim Halevi, Yaakov ben Shraga Feivel Halevi, Saraleya Bashmul Tzvi, Elchan ben Pesach, Dvar Yecht Basar Yeshua, and Rav ben Rav Baruch, the Neshama Shavon Leah, and Rav Fushleima Yehudas Das Miriam. She should have Rav Fushleima Bekarv. Okay, so we're up to the Mishnah and Daf Nun Hey. Now I'm in New Hampshire for the next nine days. Uh, it's a bit of a different setup. I'm going to bleed nether, uh, do my best. That's why if you if you have a problem hearing me, please let me know. But um, I'm going to do my best to keep to keep it that it's uh, the same time every day. I should be able to do this every day before Shacharis. Shouldn't be a problem. So um, Hashem had Rachmanis that tomorrow it's unpleasant uh, stories, but the famous stories that you're allowed to learn on Tisha B'av begins tomorrow. So for about four days, it's just stories. I, again, they're heavy, but at least from a preparation standpoint, it's a little bit easier. But before we get there, let's start the Mishnah on Daf Nun Hey Amid Aleph. The Mishnah says like this, the Mishnah lists Takanas of Yoichron ben Gudgada. Uh, according to many opinions, this is the day that um, Rav Elizabeth ben Azariah became the Nasi of Klal Yisrael, and we learned to Maseches Brachis that on that day, there was a lot of Torah being learned, and a lot of Takanas were made. So these are some of the takanas that he made. So we'll go through them slowly. We'll understand them. Heyid Rav Yechonim ben Gudgada. Rav Yechonim ben Gudgada testified. Al hachareshes shehesia aviha. So you have a girl who's a charesha. She's a deaf mute. Now the halacha is that a girl who's deaf mute above bat mitzvah cannot biblically get married. Her marriage is derabanan. Above bat mitzvah, a girl who's a chareshes, a deaf mute, her marriage is only derabanan. But under bat mitzvah, the father is allowed to marry her off, and it's biblically a valid marriage. So the case is where she's married, she's married by her father under bat mitzvah, so it's a biblical marriage. Sheyotzebeget, you're allowed to divorce her. Meaning, even though she doesn't have das, you don't need the woman's das to get divorced. The same way you can get divorced against her will, you could divorce a woman who doesn't have proper das. And although she's a chareshes, she's a deaf mute, you're able to divorce her halachically. Okay? Second halacha. Al-Katana Bas Yisrael. You have a girl who's under bat mitzvah. Now, a girl who's under bat mitzvah, the father is able to biblically marry her off. If the father dies, her brother and her mother can rabbinically marry her off. So she's an orphan, and she's under bat mitzvah, that marriage is derabonon. So the halacha is, that if her father died, and her mother married her off, so it's a rabbinic marriage, and she marries a koyin under bat mitzvah, she's under bat mitzvah, she's allowed to eat truma. Now, what this means is like this. Generally, the wife of a kain is allowed to eat truma. Over here, she's only rabbinically married. Yet, we allow her to eat truma. Now, this means truma de rabbonon. Obviously, she's not allowed to eat truma de raisa. Biblical truma, she's not allowed to eat. She's allowed to eat rabbinic truma. Again, maybe ones that are grown in a planter, whatever it is. If you have rabbinic truma, she's allowed to eat it. And the chiddush is, we're not afraid that this will lead for you to feed her 
biblical truma, because she's under bat mitzvah, it's not uh, that much of a concern. It's a short-term marriage because at some point she'll turn bat mitzvah and it'll be a biblical marriage. So because it's only a short term that it's going to be a potential issue, we allow her to eat rabbinic truma because she's rabbinically married. And if she dies, by Yersha, her husband inherits her estate, meaning although it's only a rabbinic marriage, Chazal wanted the marriage to be, uh, the husband to be, you know, incentivized to get married. So if she dies, he gets her estate like any other husband who inherits his wife's estate. Okay, the last halacha, this is, I think, a very famous halacha. Generally, if you stole something, you have to return it. What if you stole a beam, a piece of wood? And you built a house. So you're going to make me tear down my whole house to, to return it? I'm never going to do it. So one of the takanas of Beishamai is that, uh, Beishilol, I'm sorry, is that if you stole a beam and built a house with it, just pay the money for the beam. Because if you make them actually tear down the whole house, no one's going to do it. And therefore, no one's going to do tshuva properly. So it says the Mishnah, if you stole a cross beam, and you built a mansion with it, you don't have to tear down the whole house to return the beam, just pay the money. In order to help those that are doing tshuva. A person wants to do tshuva, but he doesn't want to tear his house down. So, okay, the guy is interested in doing tshuva, let him pay. Chazal uh, established that. And the last one is interesting. Let's say I stole a chatas. I stole a cow. And I bring it as a carbon. Now, why would I do such a thing? Okay. People are strange. I stole a chatos and I brought it as a carbon. The question is, does it work? So you're going to say, well, it's stolen. So we'll have to analyze this. So the Mishnah says, hakzula, I stole a chatos. Now this is important. People don't know that it's stolen. Now why this matters, the Gemara will establish. But you have a chatos that was stolen and nobody knows it's stolen. The halach is shimechaperes. If you brought it as a carbon, it's mechaper for the thief. For the benefit of the Mizbeach. Now, a couple of things we have to analyze. First of all, why does it matter whether people know that I stole it or not? Like, either it should work or it shouldn't. Right? It only works as a kapara if people don't know that I stole it. If everybody knows I stole it, no good. Okay, we'll have to analyze that. Also, we have to figure out, does it midoraisa work or is this a takana? Meaning... What happens over here? Let, let me just spoil the Gemara and I'll just say this outside and then we'll see it inside. I steal a chatos, yeah? I steal the cow. What is the only thing that I could have that makes it mine? The only thing, right? There's no shinoi, I didn't change it. There's no change in ownership. I just stole it from you. The only thing that I could claim that would make it mine is yiyush, giving up hope, right? When I st- steal it from you, you generally give up hope of ever getting it back. That's generally what happens, things that are stolen, you usually are miyayish. The question is, is yish enough on its own to make it yours regarding karbonos? So you have to figure that out. Like, is this biblically, like if yish is enough, that means it's doraisa, it's a good carbon. If yish is not enough, it's doraisa, not a good carbon. So we have to figure that out, and then we have to figure out why does it matter whether the, the fact that it's known to the public is a factor regarding my kapara. Okay, let's see it inside. Start the Gemara. Amar Rava, Meidusa Shah Rav Yechem ben Gugada. Again, Rav Yechem ben Gugada said that if you have a girl who's a deaf mute, she can get divorced. Now, even though she has no das, because you don't need das, you could divorce her against her will, so she doesn't have to have das. So says the Gemara, let's take that opinion and take it like a couple notches further. From that opinion, 
I could tell you the following thing. Amr le'edim, you tell witnesses out of earshot of the wife. I'm about to give a get to my wife. Look at the get. You see the get. I'm going to give it to my wife. But you're a bit of a coward. You don't want to tell her you're divorcing her. So what you tell her is, You say, here, take the mail. Or here, take this bill that I got. And you hand it to her. So she has no idea that it's a get. The halacha is, she's divorced. Why? Because you see from Rabbi Yochan ben Gugada that you could divorce a deaf mute, even though she has no das. So to over here, she thinks she's taking in the mail, or she thinks she's taking uh, a letter that she got from her parents. She opens it up. She's a divorce. That's it. Says the Gemara, You see, Rabbi Yochan ben Gugada says you could divorce a deaf mute, meaning you don't have to have das. So to over here, you don't have to have das. That's the Chiddush. Okay. You could tell her you've been served, uh, and she doesn't have to know that it's a divorce. Okay. Yeah, sure. No, she is. The Chiddush over here is that although she thinks it's not a get, she doesn't know that it's a get. Right? You say to her, again, you tell the Adam it's a get. And then you go to her, you say, oh, hey, I got the mail, or I got a letter from your mom, take it. She takes it and she walks into her house and she's divorced. Even though she has no idea that she actually just got divorced, we don't need her to have das. That's the point. No, so it doesn't matter. It's, you could throw it into her domain. It doesn't matter. As long as you force it into her hands. Yeah. So the Gemara says, Pshita, okay, it's Pasha. Why wouldn't this, what's the Chiddush of this? Meaning, yeah. Okay, she doesn't have to know that it's a divorce. Yeah, that's pretty posh. So the says, you might think, the Chiddush is over here, you told her, take in this letter from your mom, or take in this debt document. You claim that it's not a divorce. So maybe by you saying that, that's your way of nullifying it as a get, right? A husband can say, I don't want this get to work, and it loses its potency. So you might think that by you telling her, take this document inside, and, and and you didn't say that it's a get, that's your way of being mevatel the get. Kamash no, it is a good get. Why? Because if you actually meant to be mevatel the get, you would tell the Edim that it's not a get. The fact that you didn't tell the Edim this ruse means you want it to be a get. Why'd you tell her this? Because you're scared. You're scared, you don't want her to you know get upset, whatever, you don't, you're embarrassed. So you'd rather just... You, so the fact that Milechidish is that although you said to her, take this shtar choiv, that's not your way of being mevatel the get, because if you actually wanted to be mevatel the get, you would tell the Edom it's a shtar choiv. The fact that you said to her it's a shtar choiv just means you're scared of her getting upset with you. But it is a good divorce. Okay. Then the Chiddush of the Mishnah was that if you have a Kitana Basi Yisrael, you have a girl who's under Bat Mitzvah, so she's rabbinically married, she's allowed to have rabbinic truma. Now the Gemara says... Now the Gemara says, this is interesting, although she's only rabbinically married, she's allowed to have rabbinic truma from her husband, and we're not concerned that he's going to lead to give her biblical truma, as I said. The reason why the Rishonim give, Rashi brings down, the reason is because the whole rabbinic marriage is short term. How long is she going to be married for rabbinically? Until she's bat mitzvah, it's a couple years. So therefore we're not concerned that you'll make a mistake. And we're not concerned that it'll uh, you'll lead to biblical truma. But, chareshes, let's say a man marries a deaf mute. So that's a rabbinic marriage. 
right? A deaf mute, a girl over bat mitzvah who gets married and she's deaf mute, that's only rabbinically married. If she marries a kind, we don't let her eat truma, even rabbinic truma. Why? Now, the Gemara is going to analyze what's the problem. The reason why we don't want her to eat even rabbinic truma is because we're afraid that a cheresh might, what if we allow a regular man to feed to, to, to feed a chareshes, then a cheresh might feed a chareshes also, meaning that if he's a cheresh and she's a chareshes, which is probably very common, deaf mutes would marry each other, then they might come to eat truma, and that's going to be an issue. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. Leicho, You're telling me that we're concerned that a cheresh who's going to marry a chareshes is going to feed his wife truma? Let them eat truma. The halacha is that a cheresh and a chareshes are like ketanim. They're like, uh, they don't have das. They're like mentally unstable. We, we, we don't really get, you know, if someone is mentally not well, like a shaita. We try not to give them isurim, but if they eat an isur, you don't have to make yourself so crazy. It's called katan eichel nevelus. It's not like, it's not, uh, it's not the end of the world. They don't have das. There's not, there's not a biblical requirement to stop them necessarily. Maybe katan eichel nevelus. It's a machlegas whether you're biblically stopping them. So you're telling me we don't. If a chareshes marries a kain, we're not going to allow her to eat truma because a cherish might marry a chareshes and then he might feed her truma. So what? In such a case, the whole thing, they're both like, shaitim, so we're going to get so worried. Whatever, they're the kids, they don't really understand things anyway. So the Gemara says, No, 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 no. We're afraid that if we allow a chareshes to eat truma, then what happens if a cherish marries a pikachas, meaning a deaf-mute kayan marries a healthy woman, and then she eats truma. That's the problem, because she is it's not biblically married to him, and she's a fully functioning um, bardas. She's not allowed to do averis. She's not like a cherish or a charesha. She's a pikacha. She's a healthy person. And if we allow her to eat truma, she might come to eat truma de raisa, and that's a problem. So the Gemara says, Why can't she eat truma de raisa? Meaning, so therefore, if she's a charesha, She's like a katana. We don't really, we're not, we're not really bothered by what she does so much because she doesn't have. She's a nevuch. She doesn't have. She's not. Uh, it's like uh, someone who's uh, who's mentally not well. It's it's. You're not going to make yourself so crazy. But we're afraid if a cherish marries a pikachas. Ah, oh, so she's a healthy woman. She's obligated in all Torah mitzvahs. We're afraid that if he allows her, if he gives her truma because they're rabbinically married, that might come to lead to give her truma Okay. Vaiter in the Gemara, Alamara Shagazal Shabanu. Then the Mishnah said that if you stole a crossbeam and you build a house, we don't make you tear down the house, rather just pay the money. As I mentioned, this is an opinion of Base Hillel. So the Gemara says, Tan Rabbanon, Gazal Marish Ubanu Babira. If you stole a crossbeam and built a house, Beishami Oymim Mekakeel Abira Kula. Beishami says you have to tear down the entire building in order to return the lost object, the stolen object. Masabar Shabaylam. Beishil Oymim, Ain Loyal Dme Marish Bolvam Mishim Takanasa Shabin. Beishil disagrees. He says, No. If you make him tear down the entire building, he's not going to do tshuva, and therefore to help incentivize those that do tshuva, just make him pay, uh, make him pay, uh, pay the money. Okay, alachatas hakzula. Then the Mishnah said that one of the takanas is for the takana of the mizbeach, which we'll have to figure out what that means. If a person stole a chatas, uh, and it's it's not known to the public, the chatas is mechaper for him. 
Now, a couple things we have to analyze. Like I said, we have to analyze, is this biblically a good carbon or not? Meaning, is Yish enough to make it his carbon biblically? Number two, why Echatos? Number three, why does it matter whether it's publicly known? If it's publicly known that he stole it, it doesn't work. If he's not publicly known, then it works. Like, what's the, what's going on here? So the Gemara says there's two opinions, Ula and Rav Yehuda. Let's go through Ula first. Amr Ula. Devar Torah, on a biblical level, whether it's known that he stole the Chathos, whether it's not known, on a biblical level, it doesn't work. Biblically, this is not a good carbon. My time, what's the reason? The only way that it could be a good carbon is because he has Yish. Yish meaning that his the owners gave up hope. That's all he has. Yish kedi loikani. Ula's opinion is that Yish on its own is not enough to actually make it yours. Therefore, you basically stole someone else's carbon, and you're bringing someone else's carbon as your own. So on a biblical level, it doesn't work, whether people know you stole it or not. It doesn't work. So how come it works when it's not known? So why is it that Chazal said that if it's not known that it was stolen, that it atones for the thief? It's that the Kehanim don't be sad. Meaning, meaning like this, a guy steals a chatas, no one knows about it, he brings it to the Beis HaMikdash, yeah? If it doesn't work, again, biblically it's not a good carbon. If even Chazal said it's not a good carbon, you know what's going to happen? The Kehanim at some point are going to find out that that carbon that they brought was actually stolen. Because no one knew about it, but it might come out at some point. They're going to be very depressed that they ate, they ate food that was actually stolen. Not only are they going to be upset, from then on, every time someone brings a chatas, they're going to start interrogating. They're going to be like, I don't want that to happen again. So Chazal said, listen, if no one knows about it, yoytze. Yoytze, it's fine. It's a kapara. We'll make it be mechaber. In order to make it that the kehanim don't have as much stress on them. If it's known to the public, then we don't. Then the kehanim are not going to bring it. If it's not known, we don't want the kehanim to be freaked out afterwards. If they find out that it was stolen, it's going to be too much for them. Yeah? It's interesting. I was I was actually thinking as I was saying it. It's very interesting. I'm gonna have to look into it. It's very interesting. I was thinking the same thing about maybe this has relevancy uh, to that type of thing because unfortunately, that happens um, a lot. Maybe if you stay on the line afterwards, I'll, I'll tell you something interesting. Um, okay, that's Ula's opinion. Um, the Rabbanan said to Ula, "You have a very nice interpretation of the Mishnah, but you're saying that the reason why it works is to help the Kohanim." The Mishnah said it helps, it works to help the Mizbeach. It should say Kohanim. So he says, Amr Lam, Kivan to Kohanim at Seven, Nimsa Mizbeach. Well, that's what it means. If the Kohanim are super depressed and super worried and they're interrogating everybody, then people are not going to bring Karbanos anymore and the Mizbeach is going to be empty. Helping the Kohanim helps the Mizbeach. So that's Ula's take. So Ula's take is that really, on a biblical level, it's not a good Karban either way. It's only a rabbinic Karban to help the Kohanim because they didn't know about it. That's Ula's opinion. Rav Yehuda says no. Rav Yehuda says, Devar Torah on a biblical level, Rav Yehuda says no. Really, it's biblically a carbon, whether they know it's stolen or not. It's actually a good carbon. Why? Yish kedikoni, because Yish on its own makes it yours. Go to the next page. Umatam amru noide ena mechaperes. How come? How come they said that if an animal that's stolen and it's known, it's not good? Because that's a very bad optic for the Mizbeach. Meaning, on a biblical level, if you steal a carbon and you announce everybody, hey, this is stolen, and you bring it on the Mizbeach, 
it works. But Chazal said it doesn't work because they didn't want people to say, oh, you see the Mizbeach will take stolen goods. That's a bad optic for the Mizbeach. So therefore, so that, that's Rav Yehuda's opinion. So that's the Machloikas, Ula and Rav Yehuda. So Gemara says, Bishlo, Emele Ula, Hainatani Chatas. Ele Rav Yehuda, Ma'iri Chatas, Afilo Ola Nami. Here's the Kasha. Why did the Mishnah pick Chatas? Why not pick an Ola? Right? According to Ula, it makes sense because he says the whole point is it's for the Kohanim not to be sad. The Kohanim eat the Chatas. So then it makes sense that they made a takana for the chatas. But according to, according to um, uh, Rabbi Yehuda, that really it works, and it was a takana in order to make it that the mizbeach doesn't, it's a bad optic for the mizbeach, then how come they picked chatas? Pick ola. Ola is entirely burnt on the mizbeach. So the Gemara says, You're right. The chiddish is that even a chatas, meaning, really Rabbi Yehuda says it really works. But he says, Loi mi bai ka'amar. Says Rabbi Yehuda like this, really on a biblical level it works. How come Chazal said that if it's known to the public that he stole, it doesn't work? Because it's a bad optic for the Mizbeach. So the Chiddush is, an oila is entirely burnt on the Mizbeach. Of course it's a bad optic for the oila to be burnt on the Mizbeach entirely if everyone knows that it's stolen. Of course it's a bad optic. The Chiddush is a Chatas, which is only sprinkled on the Mizbeach and has the fats, which is a minuscule amount of the actual the actual animal. The Chiddush of that is that even that is a bad optic. Okay. Tanan. The Mishnah says, Alachatas Hakzula, Shaloi Noida L'Rabim. The Mishnah says, Rav Yechemid God testified, Regarding echatas that was stolen, that was not known, that it works. Now that implies, like Ula, why? Again, according to Ula, it doesn't work at all, biblically or biblically, but Chazal made it that it works. According to Review, that it works, Chazal made it that it doesn't work when it's known. What does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah implies that the Takana was that it should work. That's like Ula. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it works biblically. The Takana was that it should, doesn't work when it's no de Rabbim. So the Gemara says, According to Rabbi Yehuda, the, 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 the Lushan doesn't really imply that well. So the Gemara says, You're right, this is how you're supposed to read it. This is how Rabbi Yehuda has to read the, uh, read the Mishnah. Loi noida, if it's not known, mechaperes, it works, because biblically it works. Noida, if it's known, it doesn't work, and that's tikkun amizbeach. Okay. Masiv Rava. Rava says, I have a kasha. <clears throat> Again, we had a, this machlaikas Ula and Rabbi Yehuda, the real crux of the machlaikas is, if you steal something and you bring it to the mizbeach, does it work on a biblical level? Is stealing alone enough to make it yours? So the Gemara says, I have the following kasha. Masav Rava, Rava says, I have a kasha. The kasha is as follows. Godav v'higdish, I steal an ox or a sheep or a goat, and then I makdish it to the mizbeach. V'yachach tavachu and then I slaughter or sell it. We know that when you steal something, you have to pay kefal. When you slaughter a goat or, steal, uh, or, or, or sell it, you have to pay four or five times. So over here, I stole it. Makdish it, then slaughtered it. What's the halacha? Misham teshulmi kevil. You only pay kevil. You in a mishlam teshulmi arbev chamisha. You don't pay four or five times. Why? Because by the time you you stole it, you sold it, or slaughtered it, it was already hegdish. It was already uh, belonging to the beis hamikdash. So therefore, you're not chayiv dalit vehei. V'tani Allah and the Mishnah adds bechutz nami kai gavna. 
let's say you slaughtered that animal outside of the Mizbeach, meaning I steal an animal, I'm makdish it, and then instead of slaughtering it in the Beis HaMikdash, I slaughter it in the old city. The halacha is that if you bring a carbon outside of the Beis HaMikdash, you have kares, right? If you take a chatas and instead of slaughtering it in the Beis HaMikdash, I slaughter it in uh, Beit Shemesh, I'm chayev kares. So over here, I stole an animal, I was magdishit, and then I slaughtered it outside, I'm chayev kares. Wait a minute. The Gemara says that doesn't make sense according to Ula. Why? According to Ula, if you steal an animal, it's not yours. So your hegdish was not a good hegdish, biblically. So why am I chayev kares for slaughtering it outside of the Beis HaMikdash? According to Rabbi Yehuda, that when you, st- when, you steal, when you steal something, yish enough makes it yours. So when you're magdish it, it's biblically hegdish. Okay, fine. Makes sense. But according to Ula, when you steal something, it's not yours. It's not biblically yours. When you're magdish it, it's not biblically hegdish. So, so what happened? So then I, I slaughtered outside of the Beis HaMikdash. I'm going to be punished for that. I'm going to slaughter outside of the Beis HaMikdash. That, 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 there's no chayv karis. It's not biblically a carbon. It's only rabbinically a carbon. So the Gemara says, And if you say like Ulo, that yish enough on its own is not enough, karis ma'avidei. How could that be karis? Right? Again, there's only karis for slaughtering a carbon outside of the Beis HaMikdash. It's only a carbon if it's mine. I stole it, and then I was magdish it. According to Ula, that's not yours. Therefore, right? It's not biblically yours, which means it's not biblically a carbon, which means slaughtering outside of the base of Mikdash didn't actually have any effect. So why am I chayef karis? Um, Rav Shizbi, karis medivrem. Rav Shizbi says, it means karis derabonon. What does it mean karis derabonon? There's no karis derabonon. What it means is, right, there's no such thing as karis derabonon. Karis means your soul is cut off. But what it means is, the Gemara is going to originally, the Gemara says, Achichula, the students laughed at Rishisbi. Karis there's no Karis Darabana. What is he talking about? So Amalei Rava, Rava says, Gavar Rabba Mermilsa, when a great man says something, do not laugh. He knows what he's talking about. Karis It doesn't mean rabbinic Karis. It means like this. Again, why is there no Karis, biblically? Because when you steal an animal, it's not yours. When you're Magdash it, it's not a good Hegdash, because it's not yours. When you slaughter outside of the base of Magdash, it's no Kares, because it was never a carbon. Here's what they did. The rabbis made it yours, right? The rabbis are in charge of finance. When they stole it, and you're Magdash it, the rabbis made it yours, so now there's Kares. So it's not a rabbinic Kares. It's a Kares because of a rabbinic enactment. The rabbis made it yours when you stole it, in this case, in order so that when you're Magdash it, and then when you slaughter it outside, You'll get karis. Okay. One last question. So the rabbis made it yours. The question is, when did they make it yours? From the time you stole it or from the time you're magdish it? The Gemara says, I have a question. When the rabbis made the animal of the thieves, from the time that he stole it or from the time that he's magdish it? What's the difference? Let's say he stole it January 1st, but he's magdish it February 1st. So the question is, when is it his? Is it his in January or February? What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. Uh, can he keep the shearings of the wool for that month? <laughs> right? If it's his January 1st, that means that he can keep the shearings uh, until February. If it's his only in February, he can't keep the shearings at all. So the Gemara says, 
It makes sense that they made it his from the time that he's Magdashin, not from the time that he stole it, because I'll tell you what, if he stole it January 1st, and he's Magdashin February 1st, and they made it his January 1st, that means he gets to keep shearings, he can make money off this thing. No way Chazal are going to make it yours in order to make money off of that. Chazal did not want you to profit from from uh, from stealing. Okay, we'll go a little bit weiter, a little bit more. One of the... Um, one of the institutions is called Sikrikin. Sikrikin means as follows. The, during the times of the second, right after the, during the destruction of the second Mesamikdash, a big problem was people stealing um, land from Jews. So you have a guy named Reuven, John steals his land, steals it from him. The problem is, now the question is, whose, whose land is this? What if that guy who stole the land from, from Ruvain sells it to Shimon. That's the question. So the Gemara says like this. The law of Sekrikim did not apply in Yehuda, when people were being killed during the war. Meaning during the war, there was no rule of Sekrikim. Sekrikim only started after the war. Now, Okay, we'll have to analyze what this means. Now, what is the rule of Sekrikin? Ketzad, what is the rule of Sekrikin? Lokach Sekrikin. If a Jew acquired land from the Sekrikin, again, the Sekrikin was a guy stole. A guy stole land from a Jew. A guy stole land from a Jew and then sold it to another Jew. So a guy steals land from Reuven, sells it to Shimon. The halacha is, the halacha is like this. Lokach Sekrikin. If the Jew buys the land from the guy, and then after he buys it from the guy, he also decides, let me also get a Kenyan from the original Jewish owner. Again, Reuven owes land. It's stolen by John the guy. John then sells it to Shimon. So Shimon buys it from John, and then Shimon goes to Reuven and says, hey, can I have a Kenyan? I bought your land. The halacha is, it is not a good, it is not a good um, sale. I'll tell you why. Obviously, you can't buy it from the guy. He just stole it from the Jew. That doesn't make it his. I, I also bought it from Reuven. Reuven just went into it. Reuven was just signing off on it because you had already bought it from the guy and he didn't want to get in more trouble. The assumption is that he didn't actually he didn't actually want to sell it to you. He did it out of fear. But, but let's say the Jew buys it from the other Jew. He makes a kinyan with the other Jew. The other Jew wants to sell it to him. And then he buys it from the Sekrikin also. Then it works. So if you if Shimon wants to buy the land, he has to go to Reuven first. If Reuven is willing to sell it to him, then after he buys it from Reuven, then he goes to the Sekrikin, the guy, and is kinder from the guy, then it works. Because then there's obviously no fear. The Jew is obviously motivated to sell it. Now, a similar concept is applies regarding a husband and wife. Now, Um, yeah, let's say when when a woman marries a man, that that a lot of his land is a lien on his property to pay off her ksuba, right? She's owed money in case they divorce her if he dies. So that land is the husband's, but it's mortgaged to the wife. So the halach is like this: ish. If let's say someone acquired land from the husband, and then he goes to the wife and she also does a she also sells it to him. 
meaning to remove the lien of the property, mechay bottle doesn't work. Why? Because the assumption is that the wife really doesn't want to remove the lien. The wife is just doing it to make her husband happy. But, Mina but if you go to the wife first, who has the lien on the property, and acquire the land from her, and then you go to the husband and acquire from the husband, it works. Okay, so the original halacha was, regarding the Sekrikin, that you cannot acquire the land from the Sekrikin first, you have to acquire it from the original owner, and then from the Sekrikin. This was the original enactment, but eventually the courts made the following uh, if you buy land from the Sekrikin, from the Goyim, it's a good sale, but you have to give a quarter of the proceeds to the original owner. Okay. Amosai, when is this true? When the original owner, who the land was stolen from, does not have funds to buy the land. But if the original owner has land, has funds to buy the land, you're not allowed to buy it. You have to let them buy it from the Sikrik. And if they can afford it, you have to let them. If they can't afford it, then you could buy it from the Sikrik and you just have to give them a quarter of the land itself. A quarter of the land. Okay. Rabbi Hayishev Bezdin, Rabbi made the Bezdin v'nimnu, and they decided that if the land remained by the guy for twelve months, that's enough time. That if the original owner who was stolen from wanted to give it back to buy it back, he has enough time, ample time to buy it back. And after that, after that, anyone can buy it. But you have to give the original owner a quarter of the land. Okay, now. The Gemara just said, originally it made it sound like there was no Sekrikin problem during the actual Chorban. There was only a Sekrikin after the Chorban. So the Gemara says, The way it sounds like from the Mishnah is that during the actual Muhammad, no one was stealing land. After Muhammad is when they were stealing land. That makes that doesn't make a lot of sense. During war is when people steal land. It's after the war when things are more peaceful. So the Gemara says, how could this be? So the Gemara says, no, this is what it means. It means there was no law of Sekrikin, meaning during the war, because everyone, of course they were stealing land during the war. They didn't start stealing land after the war. But it means is during the war, when the land was stolen, the, the, the Jew actually gave up complete ownership, meaning... When someone steals land from you, it doesn't become theirs. But during the war, the Jew actually was like makna it to the guy. Why? So the Gemara says, Damar of Asi, Gimel Gzeris Gazru, Titus, and when they were destroying the Bismillah, they had three rules. Gzerta Kamaisa, the first rule was during the Chorban itself, Kol Deloy Kotaliktinu, anyone who does not kill a Jew, whenever he has the opportunity, shall be executed. So during that time, obviously, it was incredibly dangerous. So during that time, if a guy who, who had the right to shoot to kill a Jew on spot, if he was willing to steal the land, the Jew was like, please take the land and, and save me. So there was no rule of Sekrik, and it doesn't mean that they didn't steal land. Of course they stole land during the Chorban. It means you couldn't claim the land back from the guy because the Goyim had the rights to kill. If they didn't kill, the Jew actually was like, keep it as a gift. Mitsiyasa, but after the Khurban, called the Kotalaisa Arbizuzi. All of a sudden after the Khurban there was less anti Semitism, and the rule was that if you kill a Jew, you have to pay a penalty of four Zuz. And Basraisa, the last Takana was called the Kotaliktinu, if you kill a Jew, you should be killed. Sehilka Kamaisa Mitsiyasa, therefore, during the first and second ruling, during the actual Khmachama, Kivan de Katli, because Goyim could kill Jews without fear of their own life. Agav Unse Gamra Makni. 
if they stole the land, the Jews like keep it. I don't want it back. Keep it as a gift. Therefore, there was no din of sakrik, and you couldn't claim the money back. It wasn't considered stolen land. Basraisa, but after the churban, when goyim didn't have the right to kill Jews anymore, Amr they said ha'idn alishka. When the when the guy stole the land, the Jew actually didn't want to give him the land. The Jew just said, "Take the land now." I'll take you to court and I'll get it back. So therefore, the rules of Sakrikan applied that if a Jew buys from that land, it is not a good sale. I will stop here because this next Gemara goes into Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, which led to the Churban, and as we know, it's a very, very long, uh, long uh, process. Hold on one second.